Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to today's special feature on all things energy efficiency and green IT infrastructure alongside purpose-driven leadership too. And within this, we have a particular focus on the impact of data processing units, notably the Bluefield DPU by NVIDIA, which is delivering superb advances in performance and energy efficiency. So to explore exactly this, I'm delighted to be joined now by Ami Badani, the VP of Networking at NVIDIA. Thanks for having me, Sally. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And I thought it'd be a great place to, to start. Can I kind of share a bit more about you, your role at NVIDIA, and kind of the person behind the tech, if you will. If you could share about that, your personal journey, I think it might be a great place to start. Sure. Yeah, so my name is Ami Badani. I'm the Vice President of Networking here at NVIDIA. And, uh, you know, in, in short, I cover a lot of our networking technologies, which is you know more or less the newest portion of NVIDIA's business. Uh, we acquired a company called Mellanox Technologies about two years ago. Um, so that sort of formed our, our networking portfolio along with a company called Cumulus Networks. And so I was actually the former CMO, the chief marketing officer at Cumulus Networks, uh, was part of the acquisition into NVIDIA that formed the networking business unit. And now my focus is actually squarely on the Bluefield data processing unit, which we'll talk more about. Uh, so I drive our uh, portfolio, our ecosystem portfolio. So any of the applications and workloads that developers are developing on top of Bluefield, manage that both from a product and go-to-market perspective. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that brilliant place to, to start and set the scene. And like carrying that forward a little bit, going into our main topic area now, I think I wanted to really start with looking at some of the vectors of change that are happening at the moment. And there's almost too many to pick from, to be honest, in terms of, you know, energy costs that are rising, especially in Europe and electricity usage on top of that, obviously. Also, the resonance around things around environmental and social governance as well. So it's very close to heart personally. And again, it's infecting you know, consumer choices, ecosystem partner choices too it really is making a difference even things like Moore's law slowing down as well also increasing power usage so so many things to choose from I'd love it if we could drill into kind of what you think those most significant influences are now but also looking ahead a bit into 2023 too yeah so you know obviously the the energy crisis right now is sort of top of mind for many and I'm sure for you as well uh, being kind of close to home there in Europe but I would say that you know there are a couple things on that are sort of top of mind for me as significant influences now in, in going into 2023. One is if we look at the data center, the data center has really evolved from being sort of the, these individual systems, servers to really the new unit of compute. And what I mean by that is you really look at the entire data center as the new unit of compute. Artificial intelligence is really becoming the most prevalent workload, and we're just scratching the surface with artificial intelligence. And you see it in sort of every single, you know, daily interaction of technology in your life in your life today. How AI is becoming prevalent. So I really think artificial intelligence will become the most prevalent workload in the data center, and networking is going to be one of the most essential elements. And what I mean by that is, you know, networking is used to kind of power all the interconnects and make 
all of the artificial intelligence really come to the forefront of the data center. Our goal is to really make networking invisible and make those connections just really happen and data just really traverse. And, and you really need networking essential in order for artificial intelligence to come to the forefront. So I think, you know, we really sort of think data center is going to become the new unit of compute versus components or individual systems. So that's sort of one of the, the influences that I believe will, will happen now and in the future. The other one is software-defined everything. I mean, you see this happening over time, people moving from appliances that were, you know, sort of at the perimeter of your data center to now having software-defined everything. And what I mean by that is applications themselves will become software-defined, containerized to support cloud-native type applications, and they will run on your systems so that you don't have, or the perimeter of your data center, like a, a traditional um, firewall appliance, but really uh, applications in a containerized way running on each and every system within your data center. So, you know, you can provide sort of uh, faster interconnect, more security protection, et cetera. I think the third area, which I know we'll probably go into in more detail here, is really around the green energy revolution. And I think that's becoming a top priority more and more as we talk to customers, maximizing energy efficiency with minimal environmental waste. So I think, you know, the green energy revolution or however way you want to describe that, I think that's really becoming more and more important as we we look at rising energy costs. So those are kind of the three areas that I would I would say are, are you know, top of mind for me. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more strongly. And I'll, I'll probably pick up in particular right now on that last point as well, because it kind of led me into where I was going to go to talk about green IC infrastructure. And I'd love to hear what your kind of what's resonating with, with your consumers and also you know, partners in the ecosystem too, about that very point about delivering on green IT. Because um, certainly what I'm seeing is a rising consciousness around this and kind of a demand for more. So not just transparency around delivering on these areas, um, but more than that, you know, commitment and accountability um, around these areas, too. And that's coming from consumers, but from partners, even tenders have, have got new requirements now about delivering in these areas. So what are you seeing there? What have you been asked to deliver and report on an action? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think one of the things that if you were to ask me two years ago, I'm not sure that green energy would become sort of at the the top of mind for a lot of our customers. But now, you know, I, I talk to customers almost every single day, and we're definitely seeing that shift. And I think where it's really coming from is that ESG has become the top priority in every single board boardroom, right? I mean, it's from the investors to your partners, to your customers. I mean, everyone is asking for sustainability and how we can improve, you know, these um, sustainability initiatives together. And that requires an ecosystem effort. It's not just the customer itself, but it's their suppliers. It's, you know, how they actually operate in the environment to sort of all of those factors um, together. So, you know, it's coming up more and more frequently, but it's also coming up as a key decision-making criteria as to what supplier your customer uses or our customers are using and choosing between uh, because of ESG and because of sort of the, the the top priority of a lot of these companies to really focus on ESGs and, and like you said, hold people accountable. So a lot of our customers are holding us accountable and asking us specifically what types of materials are we using, you know, in our in our data center? You know, how are we operating in a green and efficient manner? Um, and, you know, how can we help our customers improve power efficiency? So as I mentioned, it's, it's sort of coming up uh, more frequently in probably every single conversation, both at the hardware level, the software level, location, data center location, you know, all of those factors are really coming to the forefront. 
Absolutely. And another thing that was echoing through my head as you were speaking there is that I think another thing that has changed is not just this move from transparency to commitment to accountability, but also recognition. This is a shared value business model. If you do the right things um, that will have benefits across ESG and sustainability in particular, that will be a cost reduction. There'll be more efficiency and it will be, you know, in many ways, I think it'll be the biggest driver of competitive advantage. People really want to see delivery on this. So doing the right things in this way, actually, it really is that you know good for society good for business innovation at the same time so i'm definitely seeing more resonance that this is a shared value proposition so that's really exciting to see as well that that, that narrative has really taken on and people are really carrying that and asking incredibly and really articulate questions i was at a networking event only this afternoon and it was two of the top three questions there were all around getting really really technical about sustainability benefits so love what you said there fantastic and going into that in a little bit more detail what if we could pack a little bit more you mentioned it right at the top about bluefield dpu if we could share a bit more with the audience about what data processing units are doing the benefits of those and getting some specifics but in particular we focus in first on bluefield and and the ongoing evolution as well so i know there's lots of plans for version three coming soon too yeah, yeah. You know, for for folks that aren't um that haven't been following this uh, that closely, maybe just I can spend a few minutes orienting folks on Bluefield, what it is and and value proposition, as you mentioned. So I think the best way to think about Bluefield and the Bluefield data processing unit, we we sort of shorthand call it Bluefield. A lot of times we call it Bluefield data processing unit. So I'll use those words kind of interchangeably. But think of it as a, a server within a server. It's sort of fun, it's a fundamentally new way of thinking. And so if you think about sort of uh today, what happens with your servers, you traditionally have had only a CPU within those servers. And that CPU is kind of tasked to handle all your data intensive tasks, all your parallel processing tasks, all your infrastructure heavy tasks, but it really wasn't designed for all of those different workloads. In fact, you know, CPUs were invented many decades ago and they're great for single threaded applications. And that's really what they were designed for. So you fast forward to now, what's happening is 30% of your CPU cycles are consumed or 30% of your CPU cores and in many of these studies are consumed by data intensive tasks. So think kind of networking, security, storage, all those workloads that the CPU wasn't designed for, but today are running there because, you know, as these workloads have kind of increased uh, over time and uh, we've increased capacity at at the data center, we're sort of taxing the CPU to handle all these workloads. So, what we what we introduced about uh, two years ago with our Bluefield 2, our second generation of Bluefield, was this concept of a server within a server that's really a uh, platform designed to handle infrastructure heavy tasks. And what I mean by that is on Bluefield, the Bluefield is, is a processor and on the Bluefield, there's ARM cores. So you can run applications directly on the Bluefield on the ARM cores. And then there's acceleration engines. And so there's both acceleration engines and compute capacity. So now you can take those workloads that you ran on the CPU, offload and accelerate them on the Bluefield. And what I mean by offload, so now you free up CPU cores. Instead of running those networking applications on, that you did on the CPU, you can now offload those directly on, on uh, the Bluefield. And then you can also accelerate. So I mentioned we have acceleration engines. Bluefield 2 has 200 gigs of bandwidth. And so you can actually run those applications actually much faster on the Bluefield than you would have otherwise run that on your CPU. So not only do you get the performance acceleration benefit, but you're also freeing up CPU cores. So you don't actually have to buy additional server capacity to run those same workloads. 
Now, thirdly important is isolation. So we talked about sort of the, the key value props are offload, accelerate, and isolate. And isolate, most people don't think about isolation, but I, you know, I talked about this Bluefield as a server within a server. And so now you can run security applications directly on the blue field. So let's say you're, you know, you hear a lot about security breaches and a lot of the the target of those attacks are the CPU. They're, you know, they're, they're directly kind of compromising the CPU. So now you don't have to run those security applications on the CPU that could be open to to compromise. You can now run those on the blue field. And so if your CPU gets compromised, you can actually enforce policies and security rules directly from the Bluefield to, to shut down those malicious attacks. So it's sort of the most secure point in your compute system and really provides offloading acceleration, performance acceleration, and that security isolation uh, in that sort of server within a server. And then on top of that, we have a software stack called Doka, which allows developers to directly program to the Bluefield using a set of libraries. Um, so we really think about Bluefield as an entire know, compute platform all the way down from the hardware, the performance acceleration engines, the compute capacity to the software stack that lives on top so that you can take advantage of the entire uh, entire platform. So as I mentioned today, we're, we're about a year and a half into Bluefield 2. We have many OEM system providers that have servers with Bluefield 2. Um, but we're super excited for our next generation, Bluefield 3, which we're actually introducing Q1 of 2023, uh, calendar year 2023. And that will be the first 400 gig system, uh, Bluefield system. And so instead of going from in Bluefield 2, you had 200 gigs of bandwidth. Now Bluefield 3 will have 400 gigs of bandwidth. So we're doubling uh, the bandwidth uh, and throughput there. And then we're also going from eight ARM cores to 16 ARM cores. And those ARM cores are actually more powerful. So you can now run much more workloads on Bluefield 3 than what, what was possible on Bluefield 2. So again, we'll start to ship Bluefield 3 next year. We have many customers eagerly waiting to get their hands on Bluefield, uh, Bluefield 3 and really help drive mass production of Bluefield into the market. Well, firstly, thank you so much for that really comprehensive debrief of everything there. That was fantastic, literally taking you through the different layers and super impressed with how many features there are. I'd call it embedded by design. Super impressive to see that. And the second thing that was running through my head as you were speaking there as well is given the research that you've been doing around energy and some of the stats, I'll quote a couple in a minute. I'm really excited to see the impact Bluefield 3 will have on the power reductions as well. Really excited to see where that goes because already from what I've been looking for um, at Bluefield 2, really impressive results. And I'll probably go on to that area now, if I may. The, you know, the research you've been doing, the tests, a great example of collaboration, I think, as well, looking at these areas. So I know you've been working with Red Hat and VMware and also Ericsson too, um, and looking at the test results for Bluefield 2. Super, super impressive. I think there's just under 24%, I believe, um, for a power reduction when you're using Bluefield 2. And I think in some cases, it went up into like the early 50% as well. Hugely significant. I wonder if you could kind of unpack a few of those survey results for us. The tests are really great. Yeah, yeah. You know, as, as energy efficiency becomes a high priority, we did a study on, on ways, to produce, ways to reduce power costs. And there's really five ways to reduce power costs. One is to relo relocate to areas with cheaper electricity. So that's sort of one way. The other is improve your power usage effectiveness, your PUE, and that's, you know, you could do better cooling and lighting and et cetera in, in, in the data center. 
The third is really to maximize server utilization. So less servers for the same workload. So do more with less. You know, that's sort of the, the maximizing your server utilization. The fourth is really improving power efficiency of a single server. And the fifth is really outsourcing to a large cloud service provider. So those are kind of the five areas that we sort of published a study around. But really what Bluefield is great about is number three and four, maximizing server utilization. So how do we do more with less? How do you have less servers doing the same amount of workloads in a more efficient manner? And how do you improve the power efficiency of a server? And so in this white paper that we published in a, in a blog that we published, we we actually benchmarked a few different workloads. So we took some of these workloads, like you know you mentioned to Ericsson. So for example, with the Ericsson study, we benchmarked a common telco workload called user plane function. And that you know used to or, or today runs commonly on a CPU and we were able to offload and accelerate UPF onto Bluefield. And through that offload and acceleration of just that, that function, which is commonly used in a lot of the, these telco providers, we were able to shave 23% power efficiency. So instead of operating at 190 watts, we can now operate these same workloads at 145 watts. So if just there, you're you're saving power efficiency of you know uh, of about 20% or a little over 20%. Now, how this translates to cost savings is you take you know the kilowatt dollar, uh, kilowatt per uh, per hour um, in terms of dollar value, and it translates to a three year cost savings of almost two million dollars. So just from offloading and accelerating that workload, UPF, you're able to see a, a $2 million power savings uh, just from that workload alone. So that's kind of one of the benchmarks that we did and we published uh, in, in our study here. Another example is with VMware. Well, we took you know VMware's hypervisor and we offloaded and accelerated uh, that as well as other no networking functionality onto the Bluefield data processing unit. Then we ran this Redis key value store. Redis is a, is a commonly used um, key value store. And we ran this Redis key value store on VMware's hypervisor running on the Bluefield DPU. And we were able to save CPU cores. So we go back to the kind of the, the core tenant values of offloading um, workloads and you're able to save CPU cores. So instead of consuming 12 CPU cores, now you run it on the blue field and you're able to consume zero CPU cores because you've entirely offloaded that workload. We also ran it faster. So again, back to you know running these the Redis key value store, we were able to run it much faster on the blue field. And in essence, what this did was it actually translated to now needing less servers. So you can do the same amount of work with less. And so now you don't need you know the, the same amount of servers, you need less servers. So we did a, a kind of a three-year TCO analysis with 10,000 servers running this Redis um, key value store. And, and what this translated to in terms of TCO, so that's the hardware, the software cost, the licenses, the power efficiency, the OPEX savings. And over three years, if you offloaded just this workload onto the Bluefield, we were able to save customers 50 Seven million dollars. So you know, much greater than uh, we anticipated. You were able to save you know more than fifty million dollars just by taking this key value store and offloading that onto the Bluefield in a large data center that has ten thousand servers. Now you don't need ten thousand servers. You need much less to do that same amount of work because again, back to the core principle, Bluefield is a server within a server. So it's another 
processor within your server that you can now run workloads in a much more efficient manner. So the white paper that we published recently kind of goes through, you know, VMware, Ericsson, Red Hat, many other different use cases in a lot of detail and how Bluefield, in essence, really helps with power efficiency savings within a server directly or helping to reduce the number of servers to run those same workloads. That's super interesting. And again, it's that shared value proposition. And you've really highlighted that there. Those numbers are absolutely staggering. I hadn't seen that before to that level. That That's really, really impressive. And again, it's this bringing together of different areas, isn't it? The, the cost efficiency you were talking about there, the reduced power consumption, zero trust security by design, obviously improved performance as well. It really is that fusion of all those different elements together. That's hugely exciting. And thank you for taking the time to go through some of those different tests as well and you know, really unpacking what that means. And on the security side i know there was some testing about ipsec as well a really really popular uh, data center encryption protocol what was the results on that one because again just going back to that security theme i think it's really resonant yeah yeah so you know that's right ipsec is a commonly used uh protocol in almost every single application whether it's um storage security encrypting storage at, at rest and encrypting storage at transit you, people usually use ipsec as that encryption protocol so uh, the unfortunate reality of IPsec is that it's a drag on performance. So once you actually have IPsec, that protocol running on your CPU, it, your CPU just becomes slower. So that's just sort of the reality of IPsec. The other is it's a power hungry application. So because you're doing all these processing of data, it's actually a hugely power, uh, power inefficient application or, or protocol, I should say. And so what we did is we offloaded and accelerated in one of these benchmarks, we offloaded and accelerated IPsec onto the Bluefield data processing unit. And what Bluefield is great for is security encryption, is really making security encryption much faster and much more efficient. So we were able to then, you know, translating that, we were able to reduce power use by 20%. So we were able to have a huge impact in terms of power use. So on the client side, so, you know, you encrypt both on the client side and on the back end. So on the client side, for example, we offloaded um, the, the Bluefield data. We offloaded the encryption protocol onto the Bluefield data processing unit and power use decreased by uh, more than 30 percent. And then when you take that kind of three and then on the server side, we offloaded the, the Bluefield um, we offloaded the IPsec encryption onto the blue field, and we were able to reduce power use by more than 20%. So you sort of look at both the client side and the system side, we're able to reduce power by 50%. And what that translates to is you look at a three-year you know, power efficiency savings just for IPsec, just for offloading and accelerating the IPsec encryption protocol on both the client side and the server side. And we're able to save about $15 million of cost savings just for power efficiency alone over three years. So huge gains when using Bluefield for power efficiency, both within a server and reducing the server footprint overall. I mean, it's hugely significant. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, really, really is eye-watering those numbers there. And again, with the trajectory you were talking about with Bluefield 3, et cetera, I can really see this, you know, really positive trajectory ahead. Let's put it that way. Fantastic. And you mentioned Ericsson in particular and CSPs in general really is coming to mind to me and the importance of, of their role um, in this, you know, it, can, it takes an ecosystem, doesn't it, to really come together. And I wonder what work you're doing specifically there to really support them. And, and there was a research report that I was interviewed involved 
involved in you know, very recently too called Breaking the Energy Curve. Um, and that was very much looking at three pillars. It was plan, deploy and operate networks. And then within that, there were different strategies you could take to make a difference. Some of those examples you already unpacked actually earlier on, which is fantastic. So what are you, what are you seeing there as, as the biggest kind of ways to come together to support CSPs on this journey? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a great research report. I, I read it briefly. Um, so, you know, cloud service providers, that's a primary growth area for us. We believe that if we can provide impact to cloud service providers, they're probably the biggest footprint of data centers and we're, they're continuing to grow. So ultimately, we're working very closely with the CSPs on many of their sustainability initiatives with Bluefield being a, a key pillar of that. Um, I would say, you know, we, we talk about kind of the core value props accelerate and isolate these different workloads. And that all leads to uh, ultimately better power efficiency. So that's sort of, you know, back to sort of the core principles. We're also continuing to look across the supply chain with our partners. And so optimizing, um, you know, on our eco-friendly materials, a better operating model for accelerated compute platforms. We're looking at kind of all layers of the stack, operate, plan, operate, deploy back to that framework and figuring out how with our cloud service providers and the Bluefield technology, how we can improve each and every one of those uh, down to material design to the operating model of the data centers directly and, and everything in between. Absolutely. It's that full life cycle approach. It makes all the difference, exactly. doesn't it? it right. I always use this word embedding, but it is so, so important. There's some things you just cannot retrofit. And the more we can look at all the different holistic elements of that, including materials, the, the, the lightness of them, the type of material use, et cetera, it's hugely significant. So I love the fact that you're referencing all those different elements that, that come come to bear for that life cycle. Brilliant stuff. Fantastic. Um, and it also brings to me as well, you know, purpose is very naturally coming to the fore of this conversation. And, and like I say, you know, the shared value model I believe in so strongly and, and I'd love to kind of unpack your bit more about leadership style if I may because again leadership is hugely hugely important you know carry an organization or a particular um, department with you and um, particularly in areas that might be newer to some so around some of the ESG areas for example now, what for you what does that mean what does purpose-driven leadership mean for example and how do you think that really helps to install and to grow this shared value business model we've been discussing yeah, you know, uh, purpose-driven leadership, it's uh, its uh, kind of near and dear to my heart. You know, to me, I would say that kind of some of the things that, that kind of strike me and some of the things that I follow personally, it's all about positive intent. It's not just enough to build a great product or optimize for your bottom line or for profitability, but it's all about purpose-driven leadership and making a great impact to society with positive intent. So I, I think that's sort of one of the, to me, one of the core values for purpose-driven leadership. You know, ultimately what that drives is better business outcomes. So if if you're not only thinking about profitability or you're not only thinking about maximizing top-line revenue, um, but really thinking about societal change and how your product will provide greater good or your technology or your you know, what service, whatever it may be. Um, there's so many great examples of of companies that have purpose-driven leadership, uh, you know, from from Tom's shoes to, um, you know, some, some popular clothing designs. It's, it's a lot of, a lot of it is about sort of um, uh, focused on purpose-driven leadership. I would also say, you know, our CEO here at NVIDIA likes to really talk about how strategy is about sacrifice. And I think that really applies here. It's, if something is, profitable, but it doesn't align to the goals and values of the organization, 
it may mean we have to deprioritize. So I, you know, I, I follow um, his sort of mantra around strategy is about sacrifice and really thinking about ways, both on an individual level, organizational level, uh, how we can impact, uh, you know, positive with positive intent, how we can impact society for the greater good and not just focus on selfish interests. So that's sort of the way that I think about purpose driven leadership. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I, I was at the launch event recently um, between NVIDIA and, and Siemens um, looking looking at the Omniverse, basically, and digital twinning right. and areas like that. And again, his comments at, at that launch really, really echoed that. There were was, was some lovely conversations about really delivering on social impact and particularly around education and inclusion as well. Um, again, an area that's very close to heart. So I couldn't agree more strongly. I saw that up close and, and, and personal. And I think related to that as well, you know, other research um, springs to mind too about and what makes people stay with an organization or what makes people want to join and purpose really does matter you know particularly right. when we're looking at gen z and gen z when you look at all the data about what makes people make that choice it's right up there you need to have that values alignment it's becoming an absolute you know, decision maker in so many different ways i just wanted to bring that out there too because i think that's hugely important and as part of that purpose-driven leadership you know, investing in people and culture and giving people the opportunity to skill to upskill and look at that very holistically you know, STEAM skills, for example, as I like to phrase it, you know, the technical skills, the data literacy, and, and for those in non-tech facing roles too, absolutely important, but equally skills like emotional intelligence and empathy and problem solving and communication, for example, too. So yeah, I think it all comes together under that and that active listening, um, I think is hugely significant too. So love that. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go now as a little segue. Um, I've been doing a little poll before before we came together for, for our session today, um, kind of asking some of the audience of tomorrow's tech today what they would like to ask you as a question um and there's so much talk at the moment obviously about hybridity of work and the organizations of all sizes are kind of reflecting at the moment about you know what's gone well what hasn't are there any gaps maybe between intentionality which has come up a little bit today too and, and, and action for example and that's what was coming through is one of the top three um questions was what do you see when we look ahead at the future of work and the role of networks as a catalyst for innovation um and a second question was in the top three going back to my skills piece there if you had to pick one you know what skill do you think is most undervalued today or kind of turn it the other way do you think is most important going into the future to help deal with all the change that we've discussed yeah that's a good question um i think you know for me there's probably two areas that i think are are undervalued i think one is putting your biases aside and having an ethical filter i think that's you know you, you sort of that i don't think is as prevalent and i think it's becoming more and more at the forefront and you kind of get caught up in in the rat race and you make bad business decisions if you don't have that ethical filter so i think you need to make more responsible choices that we can stand behind and be intellectually honest with ourselves at those with those decisions and make sure that you have that ethical filter so that's that's kind of one i think the other thing that, um, you know, it's probably a skill that's undervalued is setting a good example, setting a positive example from the top down. I think people have to feel a sense of purpose and belonging. We're seeing this with, you know, the the Gen Z, you know, population and, and so on and so forth. But they also have to see us living by those examples. We talk a lot about um, 
At NVIDIA, we talk a lot about how you come to work to do your life's best work. You come to NVIDIA, you work at NVIDIA to do your life's best work. And I truly see that happening every single place around the company is that people come here to do their life's best work. It's not about what organization you're part of, what business unit you're part of, what, um, you know, the organizational hierarchy or the, the challenges. It's more about you know, you come and you you come to NVIDIA to really do your life's best work. And the company is doing this in strides in remarkable ways all around the company. And this is just a great example from our CEO to, um, you know, our entire leadership team setting that positive example around come to NVIDIA to do your life's best work. So those are kind of some examples that come top of mind to me. I love that. And that just comes across. You know, it really does. That cut the cultural element there is so strong. And that values right. alignment clearly. Just the way you were talking about that, even the tone, you know, you can really feel that togetherness. And you mentioned the word belonging there. I think that's so, so important. You know, it's a bit like um the the information triangle, isn't it? You know, data, information, knowledge, wisdom. I think the same thing when it comes to, you know, inclusion, equity and diversity. It's the fourth element beyond that belonging aspect that brings all yep. those things together. Um, it's hugely significant, you know, that shared identity, if you will. And that really struck me for what you were talking about then. So I will also throw in one extra skill as well in terms of the undervalued aspect. I'll, I'm going to put in curiosity for that one because I think it's so, so important. You know, learning for life probably has never mattered more than it does does right now and helping people to be agile to change and confident to apply those skills I think is really important and starting from that point of curiosity I think can be a real, real help for that. So I will go on to two final questions now. I'm going for a tech for good. You know, I know we both care very passionately about that and inclusive leadership you know, relating back to our purpose driven leadership we were talking about earlier. I wonder if you'd like to share, you know, a story, um, a person who's made a difference, a project that's making a difference, something that you are really proud of, you know, either personally or, you know, NVIDIA more generally, something that can help other, you know, inspire others really to get involved because I love to kind of reclaim language. And one thing I, I'm, I'm writing about at the moment is creating a contagion of positive change so using that word from the pandemic and changing it into something else and that's what I would love to do in terms of sharing some of those stories and encourage people to say hey yes that could be me I could get involved in something like that yeah you know one of the kind of the examples that I, I sort of think about is um you know we talk about we're just on the tipping point of artificial intelligence technology and most people don't think about artificial intelligence in the way that you know how how is it how are we doing any good with artificial intelligence most people just think of it as you know, a bunch of machine learning type rules that can make your, your life more efficient. But if you look at sort of artificial intelligence, there are probably way too many projects that I, that I, I can name. But, you know, we're using a, here at NVIDIA, at least we're using uh, artificial intelligence for genomic research, for vaccine advances, for the advancements of, dr of drug discovery. And we focus on, uh, you know, we as a company focus on advancing all of these causes by creating platforms that really accelerate compute. So advancing healthcare from years down to months, down to weeks, down to days. And AI models are really helping drive social change in a positive way. You know, you, you look at sort of um, COVID vaccines and the discovery of COVID vaccines. If it wasn't for artificial intelligence and some of those models, it would have taken us much longer to produce a, a COVID vaccine than otherwise, you know, uh, we could have done with, with artificial intelligence. So I really believe artificial intelligence as it makes its way, uh, you know, through society, it, it's, we're going to see a huge amount of good just by that, that technology alone. 
oh, I couldn't agree more. And it reminded me as well of a really good example of that that NVIDIA was involved in um, with AI, um, healthcare, and collaboration too. So again, two two big themes here, I think. And that was the HPC Consortium. And, and you're absolutely spot on. It absolutely shredded the innovation curve, you know, from years, months to, to like eight to nine weeks in certain cases. It's absolute real testament of the power of partnership and the power of AI for good. I couldn't agree more strongly. Fantastic. So we have one final question. And this is a, it kind of fits so naturally to what we've been talking about in terms of kind of education, technology hand in hand. But within that, this kind of shared drive around shared culture and identity and belonging and what you stand for. And so this is a, a little series I run about three, six, called 365. So I called it that kind of to place a spotlight on things that matter kind of every single day of the year rather than just say a specific focus day. And don't get me wrong, I think the focus days, you know, for International Women's Day is just one example. Really great to galvanize attention and focus. But my, my point here was let's continue the focus, you know, throughout that. So this is all about visibility of role models in tech like your good self and I wonder if we could just share a little story as we end our conversation today it feels such a great fit um you know if people are out there listening to this inspired by this conversation excited by the trajectory and networking thinking this could be a career for me but maybe kind of pausing back thinking well maybe I haven't got enough experience or etc etc there's that pause for thought I want to try and help them say kind of click to commit for one of those opportunities and, and to go for it you know um so if you were looking at that now say maybe an older adult that's looking to skill or reskill in, in in areas um, around technology um, or could be obviously somebody at school right at this moment looking at their future career choices what would you suggest in terms of technology or networks more specifically um, you know why this is a good place to be yeah I think you know going you something you said just a little bit ago about curiosity and I really think that's kind of at the crux of it so my big piece of advice is uh, and I always say this uh, be technically curious so I didn't grow up in technology personally. I actually spent um, the better part of my early years from after I graduated college or university, uh, I spent the early part of my years in investment banking. And eventually I migrated over to technology. But I didn't know, you know, a server from a network switch to, you know, the, the software that ran on top. I sort of that was a foreign world to me. But I would say the important learning for me is to be technically curious, always ask the why, always ask those questions and continue to be a student in terms of never stop learning. And I think, you know, I'm constantly reading and learning every single day, you know, looking up things, whether it's a Google search or whether it's talking to um, experts in the industry. And just becoming familiar with, you know, words or acronyms or terminology or technology that that are that are foreign to me. And so I, I sort of believe in the kind of continuing to be a student um, in your in your lifetime and, and being technically curious. Um, I also believe in the art of tinkering. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much a visual learner. So I, I like to kind of touch and feel things and, and really understand. It's hard to do with software. It's easier to do with hardware. Um, but, you know, I'm always sort of you know, give me something to touch, feel, play around with and really understand the value because I'm I'm such a, a visual learner. And I believe, you know, where there is a will, there is a way. And so the number of online courses available today, how technology is quickly evolving, what you learn today is probably going to be obsolete in, you know, a couple years time. There, there's so many avenues to teach yourself all of these skills. And as long as you're inquisitive and as long as you're technically curious, I believe that you can, you know, whether you're 20 years old or 60 years old or 90 years old, probably don't want to, you know, continue to be a student at 90, but, you know, um, I think, you know, you can, you can really be 
and you can really achieve whatever you want to achieve on the technology front or otherwise. It's it's all about being inquisitive and being curious. And, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, whether you want to be a Python developer or kickstart an online business for social change, all of these tools are really available as long as you're willing to be that that student or that, you know, continue to kind of uh, be technically curious. You have to just believe in yourself and really go for it. So that's sort of my departing words of wisdom, if you will. I love that. Honestly, it made me really smile then because um, I used to love you know, as a kid taking things apart and trying to find out how they worked and kind of exactly. putting them back together in different ways, kind of the whole makerspace type of vibe. So the whole tinkering kind of movement is so, is so very me. So I absolutely love that. And two other things I took from what you said there as well, when you were talking about being a visual learner, um, the, the, the fusion of technology and different learning styles, I think it's really interesting. Just take like, you know, the rise of low code and no code, all the visual building tools you have there brings that yep. visual and, and so it's a great way in. Now, I, I did some mentoring with some kids um, a few weeks ago. We were using Scratch and they just got it so, so quickly. And it was it was that fusion. It's very steam. You know, it's very actually visual and it really helps you to learn and grow in that area. So I love that. And the other thing in terms of kind of believing yourself and kind of putting yourself forward, I think the other thing I would recommend as well is I'd reach out for mentors. And also, you know, if you're mentoring at the moment, try and look to go beyond that and sponsor, you know, literally put people forward, see where opportunities right. are and really help to guide them through as well. So and never be afraid to reach out and ask a question and social media as well some great communities um around you know the areas you might want to be involved in and great places to ask advice i've, I've had you know some great friendships that have started from that from that kind of mentoring kind of role so yeah definitely there's so much available support yeah. out there right now it's it's very exciting and i love how much more is now being made available kind of democratizing that access to create in so many ways Exactly, exactly. I think me and you think exactly alike. So that's great. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Well, that's a lovely way to end our episode, isn't it? I like that. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Honestly, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you today. I think we could have gone off so many different directions. It's so, so interesting. But I mean, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you all for listening as well. And we're going to be sharing some of the details we've discussed today. We'll include some links so you can dive into more about Bluefield and some of the other areas we've talked about too. And we'll be sharing more also about some of the work that NVIDIA does around education. It's come up so strongly in our episode today. There's some great support that you do for that, um, and particularly with startups that I'm involved in too. So we'll share more details about that too, because it is this, you know, it should really shine a light on what's available and, you know, the future directory is bright, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And I think, I think they say it's a wrap, don't they? <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.